0: Welcome to The Sharp 600, brought to you by Covers.com. My name is Joe Fortenball. This is episode 121 of the podcast. As always, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for spending some of your time with me today. It is greatly appreciated. The overall goal of this podcast is to educate, inform, and entertain. And we mostly spend our time focusing on specific sports, games and angles for which we may find an edge when making sports wagers. But we also want to educate you on the industry. It's a brave new world out there right now because 99 days ago today, and today being Tuesday, August 21st, 99 days ago today, the Supreme Court struck down PASPA, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1993. And a lot's happened in the first 100 days since. So what we want to do is visit with the guy who we visited with 99 days ago today, David Purdom of ESPN. If you're not familiar with David's work, get familiar with it. He is the absolute best in the business at covering sports gambling. He is going to come on the pod in just a few moments, and he is going to lay out an article he wrote for ESPN on Monday about a certain sports book that is banning sports bettors simply for winning. And why we here in America should be worried about that. So, I'll let David tell you more about that in just a few moments. But a reminder, for those of you getting ready for the NFL season, the college football season, go download the BetQL app. If you have an Android, you can do it at Google Play. If you have an iPhone, you can do it in the iTunes store. BetQL, it's going to make you smarter. It's going to make you more organized. You're going to learn how to track lines, line movements, all that good stuff. So, as you get set for week one in the NFL, as you get set for Notre Dame, Michigan, and all the big showdowns in week one of college football, BetQL is an app you should have at your disposal. Completely free. Go download it now, the iTunes Store, and Google Play. Vegas.
1: Vegas. Vegas.
0: <laughs> ah. He covers sports betting for ESPN, and he does it better than anybody else in the business. You can follow him on Twitter at David Purdom. David Purdom joining us here on the Sharp 600. My man, thank you for making time to join me today. I always greatly appreciate our conversations. 99 days ago, the Supreme Court struck down PASPA, the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1993. From a general perspective, how would you assess the first 100 days following the death of PASPA?
1: It's kind of played out like I expected. Um, for everybody knows, we have a uh, New Jersey, Delaware, and Mississippi are currently operating sportsbooks. Uh, that has came about since the the, past, the decision in, in May. Um, we're going to get Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. Those are going to be kind of the next wave of states to offer it. Um, so we're moving pretty quickly. There has been a few hiccups and a few surprises. Um, I was very kind of surprised that some of the European companies that are coming in here and uh, offering you know kind of a skew uh, a point spreads and prices and odds and big uh, on some of the things uh, that that's been a little surprising i thought people would more uh, comply more towards uh, the us model but that hasn't happened but other than that i mean i think we're on our way to uh, establishing a you know a brand new legal sports betting market in the us
0: you know, to follow up on what you were just talking about, normal Vegas margins for baseball sides are in the neighborhood of around 2%. Yet the sports books you speak of in New Jersey, they're charging in the neighborhood of up to 5%. I get the economic principle of supply and demand, but do you see this as a bad look for the industry?
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, I think it was unfortunate that that's what uh, Spandul and DraftKings, their sports books, were talking about here. And they've. Uh, you know, transferred over from the daily fantasy world to this and they've partnered with some European companies uh, to provide their odds and work with their sports books and uh, we're seeing you know ridiculously high lines a uh, 65 cent margin on a baseball line every once in a while and some other ridiculous golf props and that was just kind of surprising to me that uh, they didn't get somebody more familiar with the US market and what the you know business standards are here and follow that model but Like you said, you know, they're trying to make more money. So the economics of it, uh, that's what they're trying to go with.
0: You mentioned DraftKings and FanDuel. They were extraordinarily quick to jump right into this brave new world we're dealing with. DraftKings was first to market with mobile wagering in New Jersey, while FanDuel has a brick-and-mortar location in the Garden State at Meadowlands Racetrack. Were you kind of surprised to see that these two operators pounce so quickly considering the fact that they just completed a lengthy legal battle in which both were adamant that their daily fantasy sports offerings were not, by definition, gambling?
1: I was not, especially with DraftKings getting, being the first to the mobile. You know, they dedicated themselves from the beginning when they started. We want to have our mobile app up first. That was more of a priority to them to than having any sort of brick-and-mortar presence. Uh, which is pretty smart, in my opinion, as we look towards the future. So uh, I knew those guys were very modern thinking, forward thinking, so I thought that was a smart move. FanDuel has established uh, a brick-and-mortar place at at the Meadowlands there in New Jersey, Um, so they're up and running, too. They have not got their mobile app. You know, when we look at the gambling aspect of it and how Daily Fantasy for so long said we're not, uh, you know, gambling, sometimes I look at it, well, maybe the actual thing is that sports betting isn't gambling either. It's the game of skill. And maybe we need to draw distinctions between games of skill compared to slots or roulette or, or, or lottery when that is a true, true gamble. You have no control over those. We're compared to sports betting and, 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 and fantasy sports as well. So it didn't that, – that, that you know, I know that kind of rubs people the wrong way sometimes and they come out there and are so adamant, we're not gambling, we're not gambling. But I, I guess I'm kind of – you know, kind of – it's I've it, heard it so often that it, it's kind of been normalized
0: for me. Well, you make a great point because part of the responsibility of individuals like yourself, myself, and anyone else who covers this industry is to help usher it into this new era and to do it in a responsible manner. That's why I think you're the best in the business for this, because of the way in which you report, the way in which you conduct yourself with such professionalism. But one thing we all need to do is, is educate the public. And so many people look at this as gambling. Okay. I can understand that, but you try to go to Vegas and hit 55% on your NFL picks for an entire season. And tell me that's not a skill for those who are able to accomplish that mission.
1: Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, there is no comparison to me between, uh, you know, football picking a point spread wagers and pulling a slot machine. It's just a completely different form of gaming or gambling or whatever you want to call it. And maybe, like, you know, maybe the Daily Fantasy had the right idea. Maybe they're not gambling. Maybe sports betting isn't gambling. I certainly think Daily Fantasy is a form of sports betting, and I happen to know one of the CEOs uh, of the companies we just mentioned agrees. So maybe that's how we look forward to this future. Hey, this is not a form of strict gambling where people are pulling slot machines or playing on roulette or scratch-off tickets. This has more skill to it.
0: From Nevada and New Jersey to every other state that plans to legalize sports betting, what percentage of bets, you know, let's maybe call it five, ten years down the road, do you think are going to come via a mobile device via on-site at a brick-and-mortar sports book? Because it feels like while going to the book itself is popular, you and I have both seen this develop in Vegas over the last few years. All the guys we know, they download the app, they set up accounts, they're going to go for the convenience. It feels like mobile is going to be huge in this.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think uh, William Hill in Nevada is already 60, 55, 60 percent of their bets are placed on their mobile apps. Um, I continue to think that that will only grow. Uh, if I had to put a percentage, I would say anywhere between 65 and 70 percent of all bets we placed mobile or online um, within the next five, 10 years for sure. I think there's always going to be a novelty aspect of uh, going to the sports book because it's a lot of fun. You know, I've been there, sitting there drinking, having a few drinks with your friends and doing some betting and watching the games and hearing the crowds roar all over the place. I, it's a it's a great experience. So I think that'll survive, but, you know, majority, vast majority of bets will be placed mobile.
0: You know, the state of Nevada has somewhere in the neighborhood of like 192 sports books. Jersey, I mm-hmm. believe only has six or so. And I think, one of the reason you're seeing, like we talked about earlier, these high margins in Jersey is because of the lack of competition. Well, at some point, more competition is going to enter to the market. Do you think at that point, as the competition climbs, you're going to see these margins uh, move themselves towards a more favorable price for the consumer? Or do you think everyone that enters in the new states is going to look to gouge the consumer?
1: Well, I certainly hope that it's competition that brings the margins back down to what we're used to, 10 and 20 cent baseball lines, you know, 10 cent uh, on football and stuff like that. Um, that's a good question. You know, if these other companies are able to generate a lot of handle with these uh, ext- ext- uh, extended uh, VIG, you know, uh, how can you look at that from a business perspective and say that's not a good idea? It's tough. Um, I do think, you know what, the biggest thing I think will drive this down is we need a screen like we have at Don Best. We need those to have the FanDuel line and the DraftKings line and then the other New Jersey's line so people can see those for themselves and say, hmm, this one is a better price. I think that will help a ton. I just hope we get that pretty soon. It'll make my life a lot easier as well.
0: That's the type of thing we should be talking about off the air, Pertum. What are you doing? We can't be giving this stuff <laughs> away. <laughs> On the uh, on the flip side, however, I was reading the other day about how some of these sports books in Mississippi they're going to offer some innovative SEC props, Southeastern Conference props for the football season. That's their backyard, so why not try to take advantage of the market there? It's 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 smart. Do you do you think these books outside of Nevada will kind of influence Nevada to get more creative with their prop offerings?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do. I think you're going to see. In fact, the Nevada Gaming Control has sent out a. Uh, kind of an open form request to all its licensees saying, what do we need to do to adjust our rules to be competitive in these other landscapes? And uh, so I do think you're going to see some leniency, maybe some different types of props uh, available in the future in Nevada as well, uh, you know, with your SEC in Mississippi, and uh, maybe they do something different up there in New York as well, or New Jersey as well.
0: How do the offshore sportsbooks figure into all of this? Do you think the Bovadas, the Bet On Lines of the world, are they heading for extinction or are they set to thrive in this new era?
1: I think it's going to consolidation. There's going to be a consolidation of the offshore market at some point. Uh, so some sites will go be bought out. Um, I don't think they'll ever go completely away. They have a lot of different advantages, and not nearly the regulatory costs um, that some of these places in the U.S. are going to face with the tax rates for the state, Fed tax. Uh, and just overall overhead, you know, some of those places in offshore just work out of, you know, it, it, they're nice, but it's kind of like a warehouse uh, where people sit around the computers and the overhead costs and those are not much. And you can I mean, make a ton, a ton of money doing that. So uh, it's going to be hard to ever imagine that those completely go away. It's hard to enforce, uh, to make them go away because they're licensed and legal operators in their jurisdiction. It's the part about them coming across state lines or coming across U.S. lines is the issue.
0: On Monday, you published a column at ESPN entitled One and Done, Sportsbooks Banning the Smart Money. You spoke with an individual named Brian Chappell, a founder for the United Kingdom Better Advocacy Group, Justice for Putters. He told you Americans should be worried. What was he referring to?
1: In the U.K., these big corporations that have taken over all the independent bookmakers, and again, we had an industry uh, consolidation there, they have gone to the practice of basically if a person is beating you while uh, they're betting with you, uh, instead of uh, letting them continue to do so, they either cut their limits to where it's just mere pittance, where it's not meaningful money, or they completely ban them from betting on their sites. Uh, there's estimates that 50,000 bets or uh, betting accounts have been closed uh, in the recent years in the UK, and just as many have been limited. Now, some of these UK operations, William Hill is already here. Uh, we mentioned um, Bet365 is coming to uh, Atlantic City. Um, Betfair and Paddy Power are, are FanDuel's partners. These companies all in the UK have been accused of, of doing this. You know, if a better starts winning or a better looks to be pretty sharp with his plays, this is going to quit taking his action. So I think better should be concerned that that could be coming this way.
0: You know, for those who may not already know, it is completely legal to refuse action from any customer in the state of Nevada right now. Is it? Is that not
1: true? 100% correct. They can refuse anything for any reason they want.
0: So how fast is William Hill banning some of these professional sports betters? Are there any instances of guys making like one wager and getting banned?
1: No, I don't think I've ever heard just one wager, you know, but there's been some that have been very quick. Um, And, again, some of these guys, uh, it's very difficult from the book's perspective because they are held under massive scrutiny from the regulation. Uh, They have to watch out for money laundering. They have to watch out for problem gambling. They have to watch out for messenger betting or runners. Uh, If those people are found to be betting at their establishments, the bookmaker gets in trouble as well. So they have to be very careful here. It does seem like William Hill has been more aggressive uh, with eliminating, and I talked to 20 bettors who have been banned uh, from William Hill, and some of them I've known for a long time, and said, look, I simply hit a futures bet. I uh, got a good price on it, and then it hit. And then the next day they were cut off. So uh, it's a little disappointing to hear that. Um, you can make a business case about it for certain. Um, we use the analogy of a competitive eater uh, coming to an all-you-can-eat buffet, Do you really want to encourage that person to come to your buffet and (laughs) cut into your margin significantly? Probably not. So there's a business perspective of it, um, but there's also kind of it doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't feel right.
0: It's why Golden Corral's out there advertising to all these old people. They have such small appetites. It's the perfect clientele.
1: Exactly. They're not (laughs) targeting Joey Chestnut to come in here and and take care of some people.
0: (laughs) What's the uh, process that goes into banning a player? Are some of these guys just walking in, trying to place a bet, and they're being told no? How does this work?
1: Yeah, there were some you'll be notified at the counter once you give a player's card if they've decided to put you on a ban list. Um, other times you'll get a notification on your mobile app that says, please contact customer service, and you will do that. I had a guy that uh, got emailed uh, that he was no longer welcome as well. So uh, it's a varying thing in the U.K. Uh, I was kind of funny, Bet365, uh, a-, a punter had gotten cut off or limited severely there. And he was chatting online chat with one of the customer representatives, and he sent me the transcript of the chat. And the customer representative said, sorry, sir, your account has been found to be no longer or to be uneconomical for us. Uneconomical. I thought that was kind of a funny uh, way to put it. So uh, that's what they're doing.
0: I've seen something like this in person before. It happened right before I moved to Las Vegas. You and I know this individual, but I'm not going to name him. Just just. You know, to help protect them. But we were at the Cosmopolitan and someone overheard a conversation we were having over a drink about how he he's a professional blackjack player and he's not allowed to play at certain casinos. And this guy was calling essentially bullshit on that. And the guy's like, look, I, 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 I'm not lying. But if you want me to prove it to you, watch, we'll go downstairs. I'll play cheap hands and they're going to run me. And the guy was like, all right, so I think they ended up making like a side prop on this. But sure enough, we go downstairs and we kind of hang over in the slots and he goes up and he starts playing blackjack and he's playing like 20 bucks a hand and he's not even winning. And sure enough, 15 to 20 minutes later, someone comes over, taps him on the shoulder and he gets up and walks away. And they do it in such a polite fashion, too. They don't throw you out. They just say, sorry, sir, you're just too good for us. We're going to have to ask you to go elsewhere. It's amazing.
1: It really is. It's it's a fascinating thing to think about because you can really see from the casino perspective, okay, this guy is coming in here, and he is beating my game over and over and over, and he is taking my money. Why do I want this guy in here? And you can either face the bad PR that comes out of it when a story like that comes out and just be, you know what, I'm okay with that because the business, uh, my bottom line says this is a smarter move.
0: You know, obviously sports bettors are going to be very angry at this. They want as many outs as possible. They want as many options at their disposal as possible. But then on the flip side, the way you lay it out, no book is going to want to lose its license because of money laundering or some other shady activity that's taking place. So is this a bad look for the industry banning winning sports bettors overall? How bad could this turn out to be?
1: It's definitely a bad look. I mean, like I said, it just doesn't feel right uh, if you look at it from the better side, and it almost feels like discriminatory. Um, And what really bothers me about it, uh, from a recreational better like I am, you know, $20, $25, $50 bet that I just, uh, you know, want to do for fun. But part of the fun of that to me is to kind of look around, try to find the best of the number, try to find a a wager that I like, and, and try to win. And the problem I really have is that some people that have been cut off were simply doing that, trying to win. They weren't necessarily even winning, but they were just attempting showing some sort of effort were going into their picks, and they got cut off. And I just don't think that's right at all.
0: In your article, William Hill claimed that it's completely false to say they're banning people simply for winning. You know, based on everyone you've talked to for this story, do you believe them? You know, if you
1: parse the, the, their statement out and you simply for winning if you look right at that I don't think I had anybody say uh, I was just I just won a bet and they cut me off immediately or it just didn't seem like it Seems like there's a little bit more complexity to it uh, maybe you won a couple bets and you got the best of the market and that's what flagged your account uh, you got the best point spread and so they kind of tagged you as a sharp player but there are so many people that uh, said they had been banned, and you know swore up and down. People you and I both know for a long time that weren't sharing accounts or doing anything like that, other than simply trying to win. And so that's, that, that was unfortunate. I was a little surprised uh, that they kind of kind of strictly denied it. Uh, you talk to any other bookmaker, and they'll just kind of discuss it with you and lay out the business side of it. You know, hey, I, I just can't take this action because this guy's killing me all the time, and I just my volume's not enough to handle him, or, or whatever. There are some legitimate excuses, and I, I just kind of expected that's what I would get and here. But when they went straight denial, it was a little bit, uh, it stunned me, to be honest.
0: You know, you're connected to just about everybody in the business. How do other Las Vegas books handle sophisticated winning betters?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody kind of has a different approach, and this is not just a William Hill issue, for sure. Every bookmaker in town will tell you. Uh, you know, that they banned somebody for one reason or another. So, this I don't want to make it seem like this is only a willy handle issue. Um, you know, South Point is known to take sharp action. Uh, they think that they can get that action early on, uh, use that to sharpen their numbers quickly. Uh, Westgate has said similar thing. They really, Jay Cornick, really broke it down for him. He said they put people into eight different categories. You got the sharpest of the sharp are the guys that actually handicap and bet their own opinions. Underneath them, you got the guys that are arbitrage players or just looking to bet any off-market point spread, uh, and so all the way down to your average Joe. So it's interesting um, how they, you know, how different books approach it. Uh, if you're a sharp better, you think your information is valuable to the book, and you should be able to uh, win money off that information. If you're the book, you might say, "Yeah, but I can see what your information is when the pinnacle line moves a little bit. Uh, why do I need to take your money to do that?" Uh, There are different approaches to it. It's a really, really interesting topic.
0: Do you think it's possible to create legislation or come up with another way in which you can compel sportsbooks to accept action from all customers? Or is this going to be too ambitious an idea, essentially trying to force a book to take everybody's bets?
1: You know, in Victoria, Australia, they've uh, introduced something called a minimum bet liability. and For our bookmakers in that Uh, state if they want to keep their license they have to accept up to two thousand dollars in liability on a wager on certain horse races and i think that's a very interesting idea you know maybe our limits our minimum bet liabilities may be only four or five hundred dollars and but if you want to place that wager the book has to take it to keep its license the other idea for a potential solution is an exchange Um, some people aren't sure that it will uh, help the problem, but a betting exchange like a bet fair, or some people probably heard a match book. Uh, um, you know that could possibly be a way where you know betters can put their money up there. They can post a, a, a bet, and somebody can match that bet, and then the commission from the site, the committee just takes it off the off the top like a broker fee. So those are two possibilities that uh, we could look into, and I, I do hope we kind of look into this because I think we have a chance. Again, we're at the very starting point of this market. We're building. From scratch, basically. So uh, let's let's try to think everything through and make sure everybody's voice is heard.
0: Follow him on Twitter, at David Purdom. The Twitter handle is linked in this bio to this podcast, so you can find it right there. And check out the article on ESPN entitled, One and Done, Sportsbooks Banning the Smart Money. It is one of the best pieces that's come out on the industry in quite some time. David Purdom joining us here on the Sharp 600. Buddy, it is always an insightful discussion. Thanks for making the time today. I know you're busy. We greatly appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me. Pay that man his money.
0: Tremendous stuff from David Purdom of ESPN.com. If you are not following David, make sure you do it today. You're doing yourself a disservice. At David Purdom on Twitter. I'm at Joe Fortinball on Twitter. Let us know. Do you think it's okay for sportsbooks to ban betters simply because they're winning? Simply because they've created an edge? Happens in casinos all the time with Blackjack. You know, card counters, you've read the book, bringing down the house, and all that good stuff. And if you haven't, get it. That stuff is a fantastic read. That's a wrap for episode 121 of the podcast. We're back later in the week as we begin our college football previews. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Be well, and best of luck.